0: Welcome to the South North Baptist Church Podcast. Today's episode, we're in a series looking at the Lord's Prayer. And Carol Turner is exploring the phrase, Hallowed be your name. And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by men. I tell you the truth, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door and pray to your Father. Who is, who is unseen then your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you and when you pray do not keep on babbling like pagans for they think they will be heard because they are many words. Do not be like them for your father knows what you need before you ask him. This then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven hallowed be your name your kingdom come your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever, amen.
1: Morning, everybody. So this morning, we're looking at the second in our new series on the Lord's Prayer. And this is the prayer, as we heard last week, that Jesus taught during his teaching on prayer in what we know as the Sermon on the Mount. And we also have a shorter version in Luke, when the disciples actually asked Jesus to teach them how to pray. And we know that it's a pattern of prayer, not necessarily that we have to stick to this liturgy, although um, it's good to use. And last week, I didn't know that Seidel was going to be here, so I hope I quote you correctly, Seidel. Um, Seidel preached on our Father in heaven. And today we're thinking about the second phrase, hallowed be your name. Now, this is the first time I've ever prepared a sermon on four words. And it wasn't easy. But actually, I was really encouraged this morning because in someone's prayer before the service, And in what Pete said um, in, in the focus this morning, it sort of was a real encouragement that I'd got the right things to say. So thank God for that. So I'm going to be opening some of these words out. There are only four. And I've got three questions. And the first one, thank you, is what's in a name? Now, many of you know that I'm a midwife. I've worked in a number of countries, and in most of those countries, parents don't prepare a name before their baby is born, often not till a week or 10 days afterwards because it's considered to be unlucky. But here in the UK, in our country, most parents, almost as soon as they know they're having a baby, will start getting one of many books out of the library or buy one from the shop with thousands of names of of babies and what they mean. So when a baby is born in hospital, the midwife will write a cot card to be attached to the cot. Well, I suppose that still goes on. Um, And it identifies that baby in that cot. So the cot card will have its name, and its date of birth, and its weight, um, and its hospital number, which will match the hospital number that the baby wears. And if the parents hadn't decided on a first name then it would be baby surname, baby Smith or baby Turner or baby whatever. Now one of the strangest responses, so one of the first questions we'll ask the parents after the birth is have you decided on a name for your baby? And one of the strangest responses I ever had here in the UK was a young couple having had their first baby and this guy pulled a piece of paper out of his pocket. This is a true story. And, uh, <clears throat> and he gave it to me. So I looked at this name and I happened to recognise it as an Irish name. And they're often spelt quite strangely to us. So I said, oh, you've got Irish blood in you. No. Okay, um, do you know what it means? No. Do you know how to pronounce it? No. So, why have you chosen this particular name? Well, we like the look of it. (laughs) We like the look of it, wow. Fortunately, I've met this name before, so I could could pronounce it and I could spell it. I still don't know what it means. But that's amazing, and sometimes, when well-known people in the media have babies, We hear about their names. Some of them seem quite strange to us, don't they? So what's in a name? Well, it's a word or words by which we're known. It's our identity. It's used on forms, on cards, to identify that we're the the holder or the owner or whatever. And it distinguishes us from other people. Now, I'm a bit different because, you know, I'm an identical twin. And when we were young, nobody could tell the difference. And so I grew up actually responding to two names, Carol and Valerie. And I still do sometimes. And our name is something important to us. Now, here in our church, we have four Carols. We're all completely different people. And me, being a Carol, is very different from the other three Carols we have. My name is who I am. So there's a lot in a name. It can be our identity. It can be our reputation. You may have seen on the television in the last couple of days that Cliff Richard's suing the BBC. Why? Because he says they've ruined his good name. They've tarnished his reputation. We can also use it in some form of substitution. Say I'm going to an important meeting tomorrow, but I'm really ill and I have to send someone else. And they'll say, I haven't been invited, but I've come in Carol Turner's name because she's not able to be here. Then secondly, whose name are we talking about here? Now, last week, Seidel opened with our Father. And he told us that Jesus often used these words when he was talking to or with his Father. And this is recorded in the Gospels. And so when Jesus taught his disciples to pray our Father... It was a privilege given only to those who follow Jesus. But Father is a title. And in saying in heaven, we get a big clue as to who this is. We're praying and we're talking to God, that your name is God's name. And when we say, hallowed or holy be your name, we are praying that God's name be made holy. Now, Muslims have 99 names for God. Does God have 99 names? No, they're titles. They include merciful, forgiving, powerful, righteous, but they're not God's names. They describe his attributes. And we, too, as Christians in the Bible, we have many titles for God, and they describe his attributes, but they're not his name. And for example, Abraham called God his provider and the everlasting God. Jeremiah called him, the Lord, our righteousness. Daniel called him, the Ancient of Days. And David, especially in the Psalms, has many, including, he says, my rock, my deliverer, my fortress, my dwelling place, my refuge. So many. But their titles, their descriptions of who God is, they're not his name. And God has only one name, And we have to go back to the Old Testament, to the book of Exodus, and the story of Moses to discover what it is. And in Exodus chapter 3, we get the well-known story of the burning bush. And Moses is told to take his shoes off because he's before God, he's on holy ground. So presumably, he's bending down, or he's kneeling, or he's bowing before God. And God is telling him that he has to go back to Egypt and he has to bring his people out into freedom. And Moses has lots of excuses as to why he shouldn't be the one who does that. And one of the things he says to God was, but if I tell the people that God has sent me and they say, what is his name, what shall I say? And it isn't such a silly question as it sounds because in Egypt there were many, many gods and they all had different names. And what did God say? God replied, I am the one who always is. Just tell them, I am has sent me to you. Tell them, the Lord, the God of your ancestors, Abraham and Isaac and Jacob has sent me to you and this will be my name through all generations. And the Hebrew word, I'm told, for this, for this name is Yahweh, although without any vowels, but we say vowels so we can pronounce it. Or as we use it in our Bibles today, Jehovah. And often this is Lord, written in capital letters to tell us that. And linguists and theologians have written books galore about this one holy name of God. And we don't need to go into that, we just need to know that this is the one name of God. Now, most of our names have meanings and we know what that meaning is. And I needed to look up mine again and there were actually several meanings online. But I know which one mine is because I know why I was called a carol. So mine means a joyful song. For example, a carol. Because I was born unexpectedly at Christmas and I, they didn't have a name prepared for me so they called me a Christmas carol. So I know what my name is and I know why I was called that. But what does God's name mean? Well, in the Hebrew, again I'm told, it's the present tense for I am. And literally translated, it could mean one who is, one who causes to be, or I will be what I will be. So what's in God's name? It encompasses it encamp- all that he is. As he told Moses, He's the God who was worshipped by earlier generations and would be worshipped by generations to come, the unchanging one. And in the ancient world, in Old Testament times, a person's name was much more than just a label. As in many tribes in Africa today, if you tell someone what your name is, they will recognise which tribe you come from. When I worked with the Hazara people in the mountains of Afghanistan, Their names were very different from the rest of the Muslim population of Afghanistan. So if someone asked the Hazara what their name was, they would immediately know that they were from the Hazara people. By telling Moses his name, God was revealing to him his identity and his nature. And through his name, he was telling his people that because of his love for them, he was going to be active on their behalf. That as he'd done in the past, he was going to do now and he would continue to do in the future. There are these words at the end of Exodus chapter 2. Years passed and the king of Egypt died. But the Israelites still groaned beneath their burden of slavery. They cried out for help and their pleas for deliverance rose up to God. God heard their cries, and he remembered his covenant promise to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And he looked down on the Israelites, and he felt a deep concern for their welfare. And straight after this was when God told Moses his plan for saving his people. And the name Jehovah was a bit more than the Hebrew word, verb I am. It actually meant that he was actively present with his people. To know God by name is a great revelation and privilege. But that name in itself is also a warning that God remains. And though we call him our Father, we need to remember that when we come before him. God spoke to Moses and then through Moses to his people, allowing them to know his holy, unchanging name. From Adam to Abraham to Moses to the prophets to the New Testament and to us, God has one name, and he and itself are unchanging. And then thirdly, what does being holy mean? I looked up in my dictionary and in my thesaurus the word hallowed, and got holy, amongst other words. And then I looked up holy, and I got hallowed. So the words are interchangeable. In John, we read of Jesus praying to his holy father. In Acts, we read of the early Christians praying about your holy servant, Jesus. And the third person of the Trinity is the Holy Spirit. And Peter writes to the early church, to the Christians, and he tells them they must be holy. But God's holiness is his moral perfection. He's completely separate from sin and from evil. His character is completely different. Moses said later in Exodus, Who is like you, O Lord, among the gods? Who is like you, majestic in holiness, awesome indeed?" God spoke to the prophet Hosea and he said, I am God and not a man, the Holy One in your midst. And John the Apostle wrote in Revelation, and the four living creatures never cease to say, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. So when we pray to God our Father and we're saying, May your name be holy, we are recognising his holiness. And one writer also said that we're asking him to help us and all people to recognise him as God and to grow in holiness ourselves. And another writer said, by our lives we are to make God's name holy. I thought that was an amazing statement and a real challenge to us. By our lives we are to make God's name holy. But let me go back to what Peter said to those early Christians in his letter. He said, as, you, as he who called you is holy, you also must be holy in all your conduct, since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. And now it may seem as if I'm going to be digressing from the Lord's Prayer, but if the authors I've quoted are right, and Peter's right, then I'm not. But first, I want to ask you a question. And this isn't a rhetorical question, I want some answers. Pete had a microphone. And the question is, what do you think that living a holy life as a Christian means? What do you think that being a Christian and living a holy life means? Stick your hands up. If you don't answer, you're giving me a blank canvas. Anybody? Trying to be as much like Jesus as we can. Thank you. To love each other. Thank you.
0: Dedicating our lives to him. Um, Living by example as a Christian and showing others who are not Christians what your life is about. You. Live by the Ten Commandments. I think it's about being honest about who we are. I think we have to acknowledge to God that in and of ourselves we're incapable of basically doing the right thing. And at the end of the day it's faith and trust in Jesus.
1: you. Thank you.
0: to live the fruit of the spirit. Okay. i
1: have two more.
0: To pray to God oh, on a daily there. basis every day and praise God, praise God. Thank Carry you. in relationship with God. That was being in relationship with God if you didn't catch okay. it. Okay.
1: Um, there's a last one down here.
0: To obey his commandments. By obeying his commandments, you will lead a faithful and righteous life.
1: Thank you. Thank you. Glad I got some answers. Okay, now, for those of you who know me reasonably well, you'll know that most of my favourite books in the Bible are in the Old Testament. Leviticus, Deuteronomy, and the Minor Prophets. And I think that these are so relevant to our world today, in our world today. God commanded his people in the Old Testament to be a holy people when he brought them out of Egypt. And why? So that they would be witnesses to him, a holy God, to the nations round about them who were anything but holy. And this call to God's people to be holy has never been revoked. And as it was the primary call of God's people then in the Old Testament and in the New Testament... So it is today. And that's so necessary in a culture we live in that's further away from God than ever. And holiness for the Christian isn't some abstract nebulous thing that's unreachable. Derek Tidball, writing on Leviticus, chapter 19, says, Holiness is a quality that can be and must be translated into practical daily living, and measured by what can be seen on earth. And I would add, by what can be seen on earth, how? In our lives as believers. Now the book of Leviticus has a lot to say about holiness in the life of God's people, particularly when they were travelling in the wilderness. And many of the laws we read in that book are for those people in that situation. They're not particularly for us. But there are laws in that book that are relevant for us today. And chapter 19 particularly includes some of those and helps us to see how, as Christians, we should be living in a non-Christian culture. Holiness makes us behave differently in a practical way. And that chapter starts by God saying to Moses, or commanding Moses, say to the whole community of Israel, not just to the priests, not just to the leaders, but the whole community, everybody, you must be holy because I, the Lord your God, am holy. The very words that Peter quoted to those Christians in the New Testament church. And actually that Jesus told his disciples at the end of Matthew chapter 5, he said to them, you are to be holy or perfect even as your Father in heaven is holy or perfect. Now, as a younger Christian, I used to think that we could only be Christian when we got to uh, We could only be holy when we got to heaven. There was no way that we could be holy down here on earth. But God doesn't command us to be anything that is not possible. So when he says, be holy, as I am holy, it must be possible. But how do I, how do you, reach that standard? Well, God expects, as has been said, that this holiness should permeate every part of our lives, not just Sunday morning, not just contact groups, prayer meetings, or any church activity. Our quality of behaviour, as God's children, must be utterly different from the standards of the world around us. Not sometimes, but all the time. So here in Leviticus chapter 19, we have all the Ten Commandments written, repeated, plus many other things that were to set God's people apart, making them holy. Now I put some of these into my own words, but when you go home, sometime during this week, read Leviticus chapter 19, and you'll see that they are all there. Check me out. What does it say? Provide for the marginalised. Pay your employees on time. Respect the disabled. Stand up for justice. Avoid any form of magic or witchcraft. Respect the elderly. Welcome the immigrants. Trade fairly. And we are given some why's and how's. Are these relevant to us today in our 21st century? They most certainly are. Let me repeat those two quotes I said earlier. By our lives we are to make God's name holy and holiness for the Christian is a quality that can and must be translated into practical everyday living and can be measured by what is seen on earth. So to close, may your name be made holy. God's name is holy because he is holy. And last week, we looked at our Father, but Seidel's third point was that the greatness and sovereignty of God must still be respected. And to call God holy, I think, is one way of doing that. Though God can be known to us in a direct and personal way through Jesus, and we call him our Father, he is still a holy and a sovereign God to be approached and treated with due reverence. The Old Testament prophets continually had to remind God's people that the ritual aspects of holiness, their laws and their sacrifices, and their everyday behaviour could not and should not be separated. They were a whole. So what's in a name? Our identity, our nature, our personality. Whose name are we talking about? We're talking about God's one holy name. And what does being holy mean? It means us, his people, living lives that honour and witness to our holy God. Amen.